seven-figure seller Brandon Young is going to drop some knowledge bombs on us today with ninja strategy tips. Everything from PPC to product research, keyword research, launch strategy, and more. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Serious Sellers Podcast. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and awesome to have with us today, Brandon Young, seven-figure seller, almost eight figures. Probably, maybe by the time you're reading this, he's going to be an eight-figure seller or by the time you're reading this, I hope you're not reading a podcast. <laughs> by the time you listen or are hearing this, he could be very well eight-figure seller. Brandon, how's it going? Great, man. Great to be on. Now, real quick, Brandon, we were just talking right before here. You almost gave away a Tesla yesterday. Yeah. How did that happen? Like, How in the world does somebody give away a Tesla? Well, I tried my best. So we just, you know, we just bought our second Tesla and I had to get rid of the first one. So um, I decided I didn't want to just trade it in or do something boring. I decided that I wanted to incentivize people to take that next step and learn private label. Uh, to us, it's still like the best opportunity out there. And I knew a lot of people were on the fence. A lot of people still hate their jobs. And uh, so I said, you know what, I'm just going to give it away to someone that takes my masterclass. And it's a class that I teach, you know, once a month, once every other month or so, it's $200, four hours. And I just dive deep into all of our processes. Right. So the problem was at the end of the class last night, I, uh, <laughs> I, I gave someone the option of either getting the car or taking $14,000 cash, a seat in my mastermind and, uh, 10 hours personally with me coaching. And they took, they took the alternative prize instead of the car. So now I still have the car. I'll, I'll take it. You know, uh, I love electric cars, but uh, guys, uh, this, this is like hashtag goals. I, I want to be in a position where I'm just like, you know what, let me give away a Tesla, you know? So that, that brings me to, you know, what we're going to talk about a little bit is I just like to know how you got to this point where you're straight giving out Tesla's like Oprah Winfrey on her show. Uh, so like, uh, how, how did you start in Amazon or, or how did you start in e-commerce? Take us back a few years. Where, where does your journey begin? Yeah. So, I mean, it's been, it's been a really fun one, man. Uh, four years ago, uh, we got into Amazon, my wife and I, we were, we were dating at the time. And, uh, so we, we decided that it was a really good opportunity. We had seen some friends do well, but they were doing arbitrage and we didn't want to do an arbitrage model. We wanted something a little bit more scalable, uh, something that we could eventually exit or, uh, you know, try to build a, a sellable business out of. So we looked at wholesale and we, uh, we started doing some wholesale. We started doing some liquidation even, and we just ran into all sorts of problems where Amazon was shutting down SKUs that were, we were allowed to sell. Uh, they were restricting entire brands and we saw the writing on the wall in the direction they were going. And so I looked at her <laughs> and she happens to be from China. And I said, we're so stupid. Why are we not doing private label? Uh, we have a huge advantage. We should be over in China, uh, you know, sourcing and, and, you know, doing private label. So we jumped on a plane three years ago this month. Uh, we started our private label journey. Uh, we went to Canton fair and we came back and we, without knowing what much of what we were doing, we launched a few products. Now, what, what kind of advantage was it when you went to that fair by, you know, one of you actually speaking Chinese, uh, did that help in the negotiations or, or pricing? You think that helped? Do you suggest that people I'm not saying do suggest that people marry someone who speaks Chinese, but at least have a, have a translator or something with them when they go to conference or not conferences, but shows like this. 
Well, I highly recommend that you marry someone that is Chinese. <laughs> so, okay. So he does recommend it. <laughs> yeah, obviously. So, I mean, the funny thing is like, it's, uh, it is somewhat of an advantage. I think the, the biggest thing for us on the supply chain and what we realized is that, um, you know, there, some Chinese factories are discriminatory against Chinese uh, buyers over here because, you know, unless you present yourself as maybe a broker, they uh, they think you might be a spy from another factory. And we've run into that. Um, so there are ups and downs. Ultimately, like we've found a way and we figured out a way where you don't necessarily need to speak the language. There are uh, websites out there like that are all in Chinese that we use, like 1688, for example. But you can use a translate app like the Google Translate plugin for for Chrome, for example. And so you're you're able to source the same way a Chinese broker would source by being here in America without even speaking the language a lot of times. And in the WeChat app, you can translate as well. So I mean the advantage has been great. I mean, it was it really helped us move in this direction, but I wouldn't say that it's detrimental not to have someone. All right. Now your first product that you started selling. Uh, I think we're talking about three years ago. Are you still selling that product today? No, no. So <laughs> we, can you tell we us what it was? Yeah. So we, we did a Bluetooth speaker, a waterproof Bluetooth speaker. Uh, you know, that was one of our first products. Uh, we, we jumped into wireless accessories. So uh, obviously, I don't recommend anyone do wireless accessories. We found out pretty quickly that it's, it's extremely saturated. Uh, it's the the one area in China where the the sellers are really well schooled and and pretty pretty good at Amazon is Shenzhen, and that's like the Silicon Valley of of China. And so we realized that we probably shouldn't be doing anything that's being really made in, in Shenzhen. And so we've gone after a lot of low hanging fruit since then, and and. So we really started developing a process where uh, we knew what to go after, what not to go after based on who's already selling it. Okay. Let's, let's talk a little, let's dive a, let's take a pause in your journey really quick. Cause I, I do want to talk a little bit about sourcing, you know, products. So what's some tips, some tricks, some, some high level information that you can give our listeners on what are some best practices when they are, you know, sourcing a product, you know, I'm I'm sure of course it does help if you actually go in person, you know, like you did, but, but a lot of people don't have that ability to go overseas and and actually visit the factories or or visit the Canton fair. So what kind of tips can, in general, can you, can you give everybody who is maybe looking for their very first product to sell on Amazon? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, the one thing that people talk about are the low hanging fruit with regards to sourcing is everyone knows about Alibaba. And so what you need to understand about Alibaba is that Alibaba is uh, in English because it's meant to be somewhere where they target American buyers. And so it's generally brokers over 95%, I would say are going to be brokers when you look for products there. Now, the 1688 site that I mentioned earlier is is gold because it's owned by Alibaba. It's all in Chinese, but it's where the factories and the large distributors will list their products in order to target the brokers in China who then list it on Alibaba. So I would say that if you want to know um, a, a more realistic price of what you're going to get, the other, the other issue with Alibaba is that it, there's a large range usually, and you don't know what you're going to end up paying. You have to wait to communicate with with sellers. Sixteen eighty eight, the price that's there is pretty much what you're going to end up paying. You can sometimes negotiate a better price, but it's not usually going to be more. And so you know the price before you even contact them, and you can get you could validate a product or the margin on a product very quickly just by looking. Now 
in, because it is in Chinese, it's also in Chinese currency. So you have to take the number that's there and you have to divide by the current exchange rate, which right now I think is 6.8. So whenever you're listening, uh, you can maybe look that up, what $1 is. Right now it's about 6.8 RMB. So you take the number, you divide it by 6.8. That's going to be your, your price in US dollars. And then you know you want to make sure that you're going to have a margin before you even bother reaching out to, to get samples and order samples. All right. What are some things that you would suggest as things that they should be looking out for either things to avoid or things that they should be looking for when they're searching, you know, looking for a product to sell on Amazon a little bit. Let's take a step even back before the sourcing stage. There's yeah. the whole product research phase. So, so what, what are some tips you can give us as far as that stage go? Yeah, this is one of the things that we really uh, honed in on. I think, I think product selection is really where, what makes and breaks uh, a business. Uh, a lot of people make the wrong decision or they fall in love with a product. What we do uh, in our process uh, is that we look at the demand that's already on Amazon. So our mantra is that you cannot create demand on Amazon. And so just as you can't create it, you can't really destroy it either. You can only work within it. So what we do is we'll look at, you know, take Helium 10, for example. We'll look at the top 10 sellers. We'll, we'll look at how they're getting their sales. So once we have an idea of how the, the, the best sellers are getting their sales, what keywords are they on the first page for? What is the search volume of those keywords? And then we put it into a chart. We, uh, we put a formula on it uh, with our own, you know, we, we manipulate the, the data a little bit. We put a little bit of a formula on it and then we can come up with our own list of relevant keywords. And so if we have a lot of relevant keywords, then it's something that means that there's a lot of opportunity. So the things to avoid are products with very few ways people are searching for them. And so we try to create just an arbitrary line at like 500 exact searches a month. I think anything below 500 exact searches tends to be, um, you know, not something that's making a significant dent or a number of sales per month. So we, you kind of have to draw the line somewhere. So we just draw it at 500. But let's say that something only has eight keywords that are relevant that uh, have at least 500 searches. That's a product we're probably going to avoid because that means that anyone, no matter how bad they are at selling at Amazon, can challenge us on this product very easily because there aren't many ways for us to have an advantage over them and they can easily find the keywords, just stumble across them even or get lucky and find them. And so what ends up happening with products with very few keywords is that you have a shorter life cycle uh, your, your product's not going to be as profitable for as long, and you're constantly going to be battling against other sellers. It's going to become saturated much faster. So our advantage is, is that we can use tools like Helium 10. We can identify an entire market of keywords. So the master keyword list that we call it, and we can make a determination how wide the opportunity is based on number of keywords. The second part of that is that we like to look at how good the sellers are selling on that, on that product. So if we look at the first seller, and he's on 75% of those keywords that are over 500 search volume. You know, let's say he's on 30 out of 40 of them. And then the next guy is only on 25 of them. And the next guy is only on 20 of them. And then the rest of the sellers, the best sellers after that are on less than half. That's a product that we would consider medium to low risk. It's something that we would probably want to go after. So we use that data and we determine how wide open the opportunity is based on keywords. And then we determine the risk based on how good the sellers are that we're going up against. And if we don't check those boxes, if it's not something that we think has a lot of ways people are looking for it, 
if we don't think that, or we think that the sellers are really good at it, then we're going to avoid that product. We're just going to walk away. But if the sellers selling it aren't very good, and there's a lot of opportunity for us to come in and improve upon what they're doing, rank on more keywords that are relevant, then we're going to go ahead and we're going to move to that sourcing part where we're going to validate that product on a, on a margin perspective, and then maybe even move to ordering samples. What are some indicators for you as far as if, if the competition is, is too much or not? You, know, you, you talked a little bit about that towards the end there, but what kind of things are, are you looking at? Like a number of reviews or, or star rating or, or what else? No, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I really don't. Um, I mean, so, so ratings, of course, I think if, if like the top five sellers are on all of the keywords and have a thousand reviews or more, then it's something. But, you know, it's possible for someone that is a major brand to only be on three of 30 good keywords and have a thousand reviews. I don't care about that, that competitor. And that's what's always bothered me. And one of the reasons that I got into uh, teaching and, and mentoring uh, beyond, you know, just doing it ourselves is because I, I, see, I hear advice from, from, you know, different people that, are, that have podcasts or teach or whatever. And they're like, OK, this is all you have to look at. All you have to look at is how many sales they, they make a month how good their star rating is and how many reviews. And that should tell you whether to do a product. No, like there's real data that you can look at. And, and so what I care more about is, okay, how are, how, what is the demand, total demand of the market? What are all the keywords that people are using to find these products? And then how good are the sellers meeting that demand? And if they're not meeting that demand, then I can walk right in and I can compete with them. So that's what I care about. I don't, if, if I think that all of them have four and a half stars and I can put out just as good of a product and maintain a four and a half or five star rating, and even if they have a thousand reviews, but they're, again, they're only on five of 40 good keywords, I'm going to step right up and I'm going to challenge them because I'm going to be able to rank for more of those keywords than they're on. I'm going to try to get on all 40 of those keywords. Ah, I like that because that's something that I agree. It's not taught enough. You know, yes, uh, it is important to, you know, look the barrier of entry, I guess, you know, some of those things might be indication of that as far as, you know, optimized listing or number of reviews, or if everybody's got bad reviews or, you know, but you need to take it a step further and actually see, you know, how much demand overall there is. I really like that. It's one of the first times I've, I've heard somebody say that. So that's pretty cool. All right. So let's, let's go back to our journey now. So I'm sure you use some of these tactics, even since, you know, the beginning in order to find the products and then you source them from China. So, so we're still about two, three years ago, you're, you're making that change from wholesale to private label. So pick up, pick up that story where we left off. <laughs> well, unfortunately we didn't figure all that out very early on. And so, uh, we were, we were doing it the way that, that I was just mentioning where we were kind of just looking at like the jungle scout data. And then we were, we were thinking that that was enough and it, and it really isn't. Uh, so, uh, we made mistakes. We chose wrong products. Uh, but some of our failures were, were some of our biggest breakthroughs. And um, recently there was a post on a, on a group we're talking about that. I, uh, and and um, I think that the biggest breakthrough for us was a failure that we had with a, a Lego set. It was, it was not Lego, obviously, but it was a, a brick set that had lights in it. And so something that you can construct a set out of like cars, planes, whatever, and it lit up. So it had different bricks in it that actually light up. What we learned like by that failure, what we learned is that there were no good keywords to sell that product on. So there's, there's a competitor with a brand name, uh, not Lego, that sells a similar set. And then there was Lego. And so if someone's searching for Lego, what we realized is that they want Lego. <laughs> and if, if someone's searching for bulk bricks or br bricks by the pound, they don't want a set and they don't want a generic, you know, uh, another set. They're looking for just bricks. So we needed to really understand how 
competitors or how a product would sell before we choose to do it. And uh, that, that was like a real big turning point for us. Interesting. Interesting. So where in your journey did you kind of like get this secret sauce figured out? I mean, how many, how many swings and misses did you have until you figured this out? I mean, I would say our success rate was well below 50% for the first, uh, first year and a half. I don't like your failures, but I, I think that's important that people understand that, you know, sometimes people think, oh man, if I do everything the right way or, or if I'm, you know, starting off, I should always succeed or at least, you know, three out of four. But guys, if your success rate is 50% or less, you know, don't be like other people and just say, just give up, say, oh, I'm, I'm not made for this, you know, keep going. Because imagine if Brandon, you know, three years ago before he really started, you know, taking off, if he just got frustrated with his, with his L's that he was taking or his losses and just gave up, he wouldn't be giving out Tesla's today. So uh, that's really cool that, that you're willing to share that you had a definite failing grade more than 50% you, you failed. So, so anyways, as, as you went on, you, you're, you're failing 50% of the time or more, you started figuring out the formula, really honing in on things. Was there a moment where just things just really started taking off? Like, was there a, I don't know, like a black Friday or a, a prime day where, where you guys kind of blew up and then never looked back from there? Or was this, or was your rise kind of just gradual through the last couple of years? You know, it's been a pretty aggressive uh, rise, but we've had, you know, products that have generated a lot of revenue with not a lot of profit too. And so what we've done is we've tried to become more lean. So there, the, our growth chart is not straight up uh, or at a, at, a, at a pretty straight line uh, upwards. So um, I think that once you really start to understand how to select the right products and how to do the keyword research, uh, our success rate is probably over 80% now. Um, we have maybe 15, 20% of the products might not make us any money. Uh, about 30% of the products we probably won't continue with, but we won't lose any money. And then the other 50% we're going to continue doing. And it's, it's that 30% where you don't necessarily lose any money, but your margin is really tight. That that's that, that fluctuation, uh, that you see in your revenue. And I would say a year and a half ago, not uh, Q4 of 2017 was really big for us. We positioned ourselves really well. Um, we had started to understand keywords better. We had started to do some marketing off Amazon to, to rank for these keywords uh, that we felt were underserved or, or had um, our competitors necessarily weren't taken care of, uh, you know, well, at least ranked on. And so when 27, you know, that 2017 Q4, we started averaging uh, between four and $500,000 a month between our accounts. And um, that whole next year, 2018 was, was just a big year for us. Uh, we did, we did a, close to 6 million last year. And I think that understanding when to cut, cut a product loose, um, just repeating the same processes and then refining your processes over and over is, is all you can do in this business because things are constantly changing. And so for us, we've broken it down into Okay, what is our uh, what is our keyword research process? What is our sourcing process? What is our optimization? What does our logistics look like? And then what's our launch process? And then that launch process is everything from on Amazon PPC to off Amazon, uh, you know, rebate key, and um, we use many chat and chat bots. So we're we're hitting it from many different angles, but it's something that we're constantly refining, constantly uh, changing as Amazon changes. Interesting. So can you talk a little bit more about your launch strategy? So do you have any PPC only launches or do you always mix in off, you know, like, you know, launching websites or 
just Facebook or, or you mentioned how it varies. Do you have just a, a standard SOP that you go with, or it's pretty much different depending on the product? Yeah, each each product is slightly different, but I would I would say that anyone tell that tells you that you can just do a PPC only launch, I would guarantee that a majority of their products are failing. Um, the reason is this: the way that Amazon's algorithm works is that in order to rank higher on a product, and and you guys touch on this with you know your your CPR method, right? But in order in order to uh, to rank higher on a specific keyword over your competitors, you just need to generate more sales through that search term than your competitors. And the issue becomes that maybe PPC sales are only generating you know eight sales a day, but your competitor is generating ten sales a day organically. You know maybe the top ten sellers are generating at least ten sales. You'll never break into the top ten even if you got a one hundred percent of all the PPC sales through that keyword that day. Now, the other part of that is that, you know, the way the algorithm works is that when you get sales on your, on your product, no matter how they come in, you're getting a some amount of credit for different keywords. So you'll get, you'll get credit for the way that you built your, your listing. And so that's another thing you need to look at your keyword list and optimize your listing and, and prioritize your search volume and your, your relevancy, uh, your relevant keywords and, and the ones with the highest search volume. But so your competitors who are already established on 20 keywords, first page of 20 keywords out of 40, even uh, they're not as optimized as they could be, but they're still getting sales from 20 different keywords. They're getting credit for the main keyword you're trying to beat them on 19 other ways that you're not when you first launch, if you're only targeting that main keyword. So of course, if you're only doing PPC and you expect to generate enough sales out of your PPC to beat someone that's already on 20 keywords, and is already ranked ahead of you and probably getting more sales on that keyword than just the PPC can, can generate on that keyword, you're, you're out of your mind. It's never going to happen. So PPC only launches are, are, are not, not going to work. Now, what does that lead you to, to do then? Then you have to generate sales and do marketing outside of Amazon. You have to generate either through giveaways and, a, and the biggest thing a year ago or two years for the last few years was that you were using launch services, you know, viral launch and, and Zon jump and things. But now Amazon's moved in a direction where they don't like heavily discounted sales. Um, and, and think about it. From an ROI perspective, Amazon makes less money when you discount the product 99%, right? So they, they don't mind necessarily if you have a full sale. So we're generating full sales. We're running, we're running some kind of rebate uh, on the back end uh, you know, with rebate key or with uh, you know, our our search find by uh, URLs and our many chat uh, flows and things. And I think that by generating those sales elsewhere uh, with other services or other, other places, now we can beat our competitors for a period of time in order to get that rank ahead of them. Whether you stay there is another story, but that's, that's all optimization and, and everything. Okay. So PPC only for launch, you know, definitely is a no go in your opinion, but what role does PPC play in your launches? And actually, you know, right after the launch, how, how do you kind of strategize your uh, PPC? Yeah. Our PPC is, uh, PPC is still vital. It's still really, really important. It's actually become more, more important lately than I used to value it. As far as launches go, I would use PPC mostly just for defense for, you know, for a long time. But I think that you need to be very aggressive because you need to start to strangle those extra sales that your competitors are getting. And uh, you need to help Amazon see relevancy. So I think that Amazon's algorithm has changed uh, over the last six to nine months to where they're valuing uh, exact phrase a lot more than they used to. 
they're also valuing their PPC sales more than they used to uh, for rank. So you can uh, you you can tell Amazon what you're relevant for if you can generate PPC sales. So even when you first launch, even if you have people go and buy your PPC uh, from your from your ad, for example, now you're triggering that to Amazon. This is a relevant keyword for this product because otherwise they might have a hard time and you might not get indexed properly or you might not get uh you know be able to get impressions on your PPC campaigns at all. So we're we're either very aggressive on the PPC or we're uh we're a bottom up where we start with a low bid and then we start to optimize up. And what determines that with our PPC is is a couple different things. It's the margin of the product, the competitiveness, how many variations there are and also um the design, the design element to the product. So if it's something with a lot of design or fashion oriented, then you, you kind of want to expect that you're going to have a lower click through rate and a lower conversion rate. And you don't want to, um, you don't want to necessarily start with a very high bid there. It's going to be very expensive. So, uh, there's a different strategy we use there altogether. I think this is very helpful. I can just feel people writing notes down. They've, they're already on page two of their notes for all these uh, great (laughs) tips. That, that you're giving now, what about uh, relaunching a mature product? You know, like, let's say, hey, been selling it for a year. You've noticed some of your keyword rankings have dipped. Do you just kind of slowly phase it out? Do you try and update the product and relaunch a brand new product? Like as one of those, uh, hey, this is an updated version of the 2016 version of this. Or do you do you do a launch strategy on the existing ASIN since it has good reviews? Or, or what, what can you tell us about your relaunch strategy? Well, first you have to diagnose why you're you're not doing as well. So you have to look at the competition. Is you know is it a pricing? You're at that point you're just not converting as well as your competitors. And what a lot of people do is that they, without changing anything, they'll just throw a bunch of money at it and try to bring the rank back up. But they didn't diagnose the the, the root cause. The root cause was that you're no longer converting as well as you used to. Uh, so uh, if your competitors are going to be converting uh, better than you. Uh, then even if you get ahead of them for a period of time, you're just going to slide back anyway. So what we need to do at that point is determine whether that uh, our pricing is competitive still. We need to redo the maybe the main listing images. We need to look at enhanced brand content. We need to make sure that we're brand registered and that we're getting, uh, you know, that we have a maybe a video on it. So we're doing everything we can to try to try to move the the bar a couple points on the conversion, you know, side. And so there's a lot that we do to optimize the listing and then go back and then concentrate on the launch. What you need to know, though, is if it's a product that failed from the very beginning and you don't have many reviews, you've lost what's called the honeymoon period, which is that that period of time when you first launch. And it might be worth it just pulling the inventory and sending it into a new listing and then trying again um, with a slightly different approach. Because the, the honeymoon period is so powerful that you have no negative history. Because you know you're getting ranked based on your sales, but Amazon is not looking at the, the that very day. They're looking at a series of averages. They're they're averaging in like your sales for the last day, the last three days, the last seven days, the last thirty days, and and even longer. But when you first launch, you have none of those those other numbers to average in. So you have no zeros or low numbers to average in. So it's much easier to launch in that honeymoon period when you first launch than it is to try to revitalize something that has a lot of negative history. So it's going to... You, you ever measured how long that uh, honeymoon period lasts or in your experience for your products? Yeah, it, it ranges. Like the, the, the school of thought right now, I think uh, amongst, you know, the guys that I, that I talk to regularly and strategize with regularly is, is between 18 and 23 days. That's the best we can kind of get. 
Um, I don't think it's very much, it's longer than that. How do you take advantage of that? So like what, what I've been telling people, and I don't even know if this is right, but I, uh, I say, oh, you got to create your listing, obviously, to, to, to be able to have an FN SKU number in order to send your inventory into FBA. So I say, hey, don't create your listing, you know, a month before your inventories even get there. Once you're ready, once your inventory is ready to ship to Amazon, create your listing at that time, have it open just so you can, you know, send it and then close the listing after you're sending it in so that while it's in transit, isn't that saving days from that honeymoon period? Or is that, am I just giving people a bunch of nonsense? <laughs> You're partially right. So there, there's two, there's two other things they need to do. Um, they they want to keep the listing suppressed. So what they should do is not upload the images. The other thing that they can do is uh, they can on the back end um, when you're creating the listing, you can put a uh, launch date for the product, like a first available. There's there's several different dates you can put in your back end. It's like first available date and then your you know your launch date. Put those like a year out in the future. And then the day you're actually ready to launch, when the stuff is there and it's checked in and it's available, uh, then you can add your images and change those dates to the to this current day. And then what that'll do is is it'll it'll trigger your your uh, your honeymoon period as being from that day, and you can hit the ground running. So yeah, you were you were you were on the right track. Ah, that, that that's that's very valuable. I think my way was a, a lot harder and a lot weirder, but. I had no idea that just by having the listing suppressed, it also counted or kind of like counts as not counting towards a honeymoon period. That's, that's great info. Yeah. Yeah. And you could keep it closed and make sure it's still suppressed and then also have the dates out. Like all three of those things combined is just like triple checks, but you know, you should do everything you can to try to, to try to keep that honeymoon period. Um, you know, otherwise you're going to have a hard time, uh, trying to launch and a lot of launches start with a lot of negative history and you end up way behind the eight ball. Okay, cool. So. It's 30 minutes already. I can't believe the time has flown by here. So some last words of wisdom about some something that like maybe one thing that irritates you the most uh, that you see out there on Facebook or, or from gurus or whatever, some misinformation that's out there that you see people follow and just like really gets under your skin. What would that be? Oh man, just one. <laughs> just one. I know like we, we could have another episode just dedicated to that, but is there one specific thing other than what was it that you just mentioned earlier about just, oh yeah, just looking at the star rating or, or number of reviews as far as product research. But other than that, like what is one thing that really gets under your skin that, that people are, you think are being misled about? I think the, uh, I think the software and, and, and the not doing the proper research in advance, I think product selection, um, I don't think people are doing and looking at the data enough. I think that this is Amazon private label is a, is a solved game. And I think that if you look at the data, it's very clear how to, how to rate products that you could potentially do. You can look at the opportunity score, you can assign a risk score. And if I have a pipeline of 50 products, I can let the cream rise to the top. I can take all the ones with the most opportunity and the lowest risk, and I can just keep doing those products in order to maximize my opportunity. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, what I see constantly is, is misinformation about how to find potential products, how to, um, how to like judge whether to do them. And, uh, I see all these other fake gurus putting out lists of the top thousand products to do in 2019 type of thing. You don't want to do the same thing that uh, 10,000 other sellers are going to do. That's how you end up doing a scratch off map and, and you're on page 15 with 5,000 other people that got duped into doing it. You want to do your own research. You want to look at the numbers, work backwards, and then find your own products. And I think that um, you just need to learn how to do it yourself. 
uh, instead of trying to follow the advice of, of people that aren't very good or selling themselves. Um, that's the other, that's the other thing that bothers me is when these self-proclaimed gurus aren't even sellers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you and I are in the same boat as far as that goes. Well, this has all been very valuable information and I know uh, in your course and your master classes, this is just, you know, a small tidbit of what people can get from those. So if people want to learn more from you or contact you or try and get a free Tesla, how can they reach you? How can they find you on the interwebs? Uh, I think the easiest way is my website, which is uh, brandonmyoung.com. Or you can join uh, my public Facebook group, which is, uh, you know, seller systems succeeding on Amazon. And you can always message me on Facebook as well. I'm, I'm, I'm always an open book and willing to help. All right. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy guy. I really appreciate you coming on here and, and helping all of us out with this. And we'll definitely want you back on a future episode. So thanks again.